Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today to talk Tully, we have Michael Snydell. Hello! Hello, Michael. We also have, filling in for Bill Graham, my wonderful wife, Genevieve Rowan. Hi! How are you? Oh, you know, I spent all day with you, so you should know I'm fine. By now, you should definitely be aware of that. Oh man! When I, I don't know if I believe that you two know each other. <laughs> when marriage and podcast meet, who knows what madness means? <laughs> anyway, we are here today to talk about the newest film from director Jason Reitman uh, and writer Diablo Cody, and that is Tully, starring Charlize Theron and Mackenzie Davis. Before we get into all of that, uh, the usual housekeeping: you can follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show. Facebook, The Film Stage Show, and of course you can email us, podcast.filmstage.com, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes so we can get your feedback that way and more people can find this podcast. You can also give us money at patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow, and that helps us to produce even more great episodes for you. And we, of course, are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day they introduce a brand new film for you to watch and enjoy. You can download these films, take them on the go. You can watch them on your smart TV, your laptop, your PC, or whatever. And uh, I'll say it again, like I always do. Mubi has the best possible app for all of your streaming needs. And because it is a curated selection, you don't have to worry about the fact that you might accidentally just start watching Justified all over again. Michael, have you started watching Justified again? <laughs> you know, I haven't. But I haven't really been watching movies either, so I don't really have any excuse i've had like this weird thing called a life the last couple weeks and i really really hate it like it needs to stop immediately (laughs) but i bet you can guess what's been going on at our house the last three weeks it's been a whole lot of railing gibbons first of all (laughs) it's justified (laughs) oh god damn it (laughs) that applies on three different levels anyway uh but if you would like to watch some movies Mubi has a great selection coming out. Um, I'll highlight one uh, because uh, everyone watched The Last Jedi. And Ryan Johnson said that one of his visual influences was Ran by Akira Kurosawa. And that is now on Mubi. It is the 1985 epic that is an adaptation of King Lear. It has a universally beloved use of colors. And it is, all in all, a great movie from one of cinema's finest masters, yeah, so that movie you, rules. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and now, uh, if you've never seen it and you want to be able to, like Michael Snydell, say that that movie rules, you can get your free 30-day trial of movie to check it out. All you have to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage, and you will get a free 30-day trial of movie on us. So check it out. 
It's awesome. And there is, as I said, always a new film to watch on movie. So that is that. Um, before we get started, uh, Michael, you and I have been hitting up uh, two different film festivals this week. And in fact, uh, yesterday, my wife joined me at mine. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the, what is it, Chicago Critics Film Festival? Yeah, let's let's plug the film festival that my own uh, critics group is putting on. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I, I've said before, I'm a part of the Chicago Film Critics uh, Association, the CFCA. And this week, uh, starting on Friday... Uh, or starting on this last Friday, uh, the Chicago Critics Festival started in Chicago. So it goes through next Thursday. Oops. And unfortunately, I was not able to go to most of the films, uh, this weekend, but some, the opening film was, uh, Fast Color that starred, uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Uh, but there are still a bunch of other films that are coming up. I'm hopefully gonna make it tonight to actually Madeline's Madeline was a big hit on the festival circuit. But then uh, some of the other big ones is Bo Burnham's directorial debut, uh, Eighth Grade, and uh, First Reformed, uh, Paul Schrader movie that we will have many, many more thoughts on in the future. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's it's a good time. So I, I, by the time this goes up, you know, it might almost be over. But uh yeah, I'm seeing some movies there, but I haven't yet seen anything this weekend. So I can't report, so I'm going to throw <laughs> it over to Brian. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. Um, Madeline's Madeline was actually playing at the Maryland Film Festival, which uh, I hit up starting on Thursday into last night. And um, as was uh, First Reformed, which uh, my wife joined me to see yesterday. And uh, I also saw Don't Leave Home, which is a kind of kitschy throwback sort of thriller horror film set in Ireland. And uh, also, uh, my wife was there for that. And I think really quickly, I'm going to stop you because you keep saying like kitschy throwback. I think it's really most important because I obviously the two of us enjoyed Don't Leave Home a little bit more um, to point out that it's actually folk horror, which is a very niche genre. Uh, I know I'm being a little bit pedantic right now, but it is my favorite uh, genre of both art and horror and just in cinema in general, um, it's fantastic. And so if you find yourself as like a you know folk horror fan, like Don't Leave Home needs to be on your list of films to see. Like it was it was very well done. So if anyone was wondering how we got together. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it has a very Wicker Man vibe to it. I also saw sure. Soller's Point, um, which was very good. And I just want to give a shout out to the uh, <laughs> Savros Niarchos Foundation Parkway uh, Theater in Baltimore. Um, it is a gorgeous theater. And if you are in the area, uh, either living there now or visiting in the future, you should definitely check it out. It's the home of the Maryland Film Festival, but it's open all year with great stuff. And it is one of the more unique film-going experiences you'll probably ever have. It is a very old theater that has been updated and preserved in a very untraditional way. Basically, they, they opened it after it had been vacant for decades and kind of cleaned it up, but like didn't fix anything like aesthetically. So the plaster's chipped, the paint is peeling. It's literally broken in so many places. And it's just, it's, it's stunning. Like there are pieces of the theater that are like original pieces. And you can tell based on the fact that they're like falling down inside of the theater. <laughs> um, it was, it was a pretty magical experience. It was beautiful. Yeah. I hope you get to keep the plaster if it falls into your lap while oh you're my watching God, something. That, I'm assuming that's a rule. Like we didn't see any postings, but I feel like that's just like an unwritten rule. 
<laughs> I'm just going to walk in there with a chisel and take some shit. Um, that, that jester's head hanging over the proscenium arch. It's mine, baby. I'm going to crawl up there and get it. Um, so that's that. Uh, so those are some great lower, like I was going to say lower tier, but really more like unsung film festivals. The Maryland Film Festival has been going on for 20 years, and this is my first time going. Uh, but having done it, I can now say that I'm going to go back every year. And I will have some reviews popping up uh, for Soller's Point, Don't Leave Home, and Pain of Others uh, on thefilmstage.com. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But that is all for our preamble. Who's ready to talk about the newest film from the director of Labor Day and Men, Women, and Children? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, I guess that's everyone. Oh, man. <laughs> intro oh yeah look we got to keep this light um so this is tully uh the new comedy from director jason reitman who has actually done good films like thank you for smoking and uh to a lesser extent juno and up in the air and uh writer diablo cody who did juno young adult and jennifer's body amongst many other pieces of work she also did the what would have been yeah the last jonathan Dem film, uh, Ricky and the Flash. I know she wrote. Uh, she either wrote or co-wrote that. I believe. I don't yeah. know. I we, could look uh, it up, but I'm very lazy right now. We discussed so. Ricky and the Flash over lunch. <laughs> 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 uh, so yes, this is Tully. It is starring Charlize Theron, Mackenzie Davis, uh, Ron Livingston, and Mark Duplass. And here is the trailer. No! 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 know what a night nanny is. They take care of the baby at night so mom and dad can get some sleep. I don't want a stranger in my house. It's like a Lifetime movie where the nanny tries to kill the family and the mom survives and she has to walk with a cane at the end. Get over yourself. So that was the trailer for Tully. Let's uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Obviously, we'll have our non-spoiler thoughts first and then dive into spoilers later on. So let's give our very brief, Michael, very brief <laughs> thoughts on this film um and now that i've already called out michael for his usually long preambles let's uh, start off with my wife genevieve what did you think of tully oh yeah so um <laughs> uh i think that this this movie is um impeccably visually directed i think that it practices very well um some visual storytelling and it elicits a lot of emotion like purely through visuals and like i wouldn't even say like acting on part of the actors although Shirley's theron's performance in this i feel is very winning um with the character that she is given i i, I struggle not to say forced to play <laughs> um i feel like as i was sitting in this theater um as a as a mother who very you know recently in the grand scheme of my life had a child um there were a lot of uh, uh, triggers for me in this that I, I could feel being deployed as triggers um, that were supposed to really uh, remind me of those first few weeks and months of motherhood. And it worked very, very effectively at that kind of memory recall and that kind of like forced empathy. I think overall, though, that that is like the most infuriating aspect of this film, because I noticed as soon as I was leaving the theater that the whole 90 minutes I was feeling and not thinking. And that's something that I, I kind of dislike, that that kind of like um, manipulation within certain movies where 
it they're made in such a way that the you're experiencing it rather than like actually like thinking about it or analyzing it in any capacity. So it's very hard to determine if you enjoyed it or not until after the fact. And I have to say that like while Tully is interesting <laughs> um and highly emotive um i had a lot of problems with some of the statements that i feel like it was making some of the emotions and conclusions it was guiding the audience to come to um i feel like overall it says something very troubling about motherhood and womanhood and I feel like it, with just a few minor tweaks, could have been profound, but it instead coasted on the surface and rested at something incredibly inherently harmful that we're kind of attempting to troubleshoot as a group in society currently. Um, I cannot, with good conscience, say that I like this film, and I cannot and probably will not ever say that I enjoy Diablo Cody's writing. I also find it incredibly frustrating that upon watching the trailer of this movie, which is something that I generally avoid doing and, you know, just as a personal rule, uh, I feel like a lot of people do, um, that I was immediately able to ascertain where this this story was going. And I hoped against hope that that wasn't what was happening. Um, But I guess with just, like, predispositions toward Diablo Cody's writing, um, I had absolutely no problems judging it preemptively and then maybe that negatively impacted my view of it as a whole upon seeing it. But um, honestly, I think that this was a very well-directed, very poorly written, very troubling story about something that is beautiful and positive. And that just left a really bad taste in my mouth. All right. (laughs) The concept of brief statements seems to be lost on anyone who gets on the microphone with me. Oh my god, that was, no, that was, man, fuck off. <laughs> everything that you said. No, that was very, very, I, I don't know. Thank you, I'm Jen, just, you understand how I feel now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, but yes, okay, so that's actually a perfect jumping off point. Michael Snydell, uh, what did you think of Tully? Uh, yeah, briefly, what I think of Tully is I think that this film, especially near the beginning, it seems to have... A, a reverence for motherhood and an interest in wanting to show like a totality of motherhood in like cycles and like there's a light touch and a, a yeah a light touch and a patience with a lot of this stuff that you generally don't see because you generally don't see motherhood without it being also buffered you know by something else. Like, it's weirdly enough that, like, a lot of horror movies seem to have some of the best depictions of motherhood. Um, but with that said, it also became very disappointing to me as I realized that so much of this care was put into a film that wanted to make more and more boxes and uh reducing reducing motherhood into smaller and smaller statements and as the film kind of revealed where it wanted to go uh i could somewhat admire some of the performances and could somewhat admire the the craft that comes with some of this some of this film um 
but again, it's it's very hard for me to say that this experience as a whole is satisfying or doesn't feel uh, cheap. Um, again, I'm being very vague because surprisingly, this movie isn't easy to talk about without spoilers. Uh, but who would have thought? But yeah, no, I wasn't ready for that either. <laughs> yeah, initial thoughts. I, I will say. Oh my god! I almost said the word Oscars. Okay, Theron is oh. is is very good, uh, and I, I just want to give her credit for making a role that is at once where she's so exhausted and it's so compelling and hypnotic to watch, but it's not only about her being tired. Like it, when a great actress like digs into this t- material, it's just a reminder of one how rarely we see this without it being a joke. And two, um, how much richness there is when someone gets to dig into it. Yeah, so my thoughts are pretty much an amalgamation of both of yours uh, in that they are surprisingly negative, despite the many positive things that I will have to say about certain (laughs) aspects of this movie. Um, I'll start off, I think that Mackenzie Davis, in her manic pixie dream nanny type of thing, is... (laughs) more bearable than I would expect her to be, which is, it sounds like a backhanded compliment, and maybe it is, but really, honestly, like, given this character and and what she's doing, you know, bravo, because many, many young actresses have have died by the double-edged sword of trying to play someone who seems too good to be true, and I think that she leans into the weirdness in a way that makes you feel okay finding her weird because it seems as though the movie does a little bit too. Charlize Theron, uh, a very good, very unpretentious kind of uh, non-mannered performance. Uh, everything, Michael, that you said about her her tiredness really rings out. I just... There's so much wrong with... <laughs> the things that this movie is trying to say that at a certain point I found myself actively rooting against many of these people. And that's before we even get to the paradigm shift that closes out the movie, which just creates a whole cacophonous cyclone of questions without answers and just ideas and things that I'm just wondering about that like, Take every other good thing and kind of eviscerate them. Uh, that said, I, I know that Jason Reitman gets a lot of shit for sucking. Um, well. <laughs> Sorry. So here's, here's the thing. As we were driving home, I said, like, what happened to the zingy, witty guy who created Thank You for Smoking? You know, who who seemed to have this black heart and this humor, but also, like, an inherent humanity and an interest in in his characters in a way that went beyond just making them punchlines. We haven't seen that guy since he made that movie. And he tried a little bit in Young Adult to do that again, but the script by Diablo Cody kind of hampered that. And I just, I don't know, man. But this movie had, like, the quality of light and tactility that, like, Labor Day did. And I'm one of the few weird bastards on Earth who gave Labor Day a vaguely positive review. But that movie was telling a very simple story about a convict, wrongly imprisoned, uh, who breaks out, takes a child hostage, and stays with his mother over a long Labor Day weekend and sensually makes pies with her. 
Um, this movie has a much more meaningful story or a story that should have more meaning, but actually says a lot of things that I like kind of inherently disagree with and find damaging and, and weird. So it, I can't, I can't just say like shruggy emoji labor day. Like that was pretty, it was dumb, but it was pretty. This movie is pretty and it gets dumb, but then that kind of makes it ugly. And that's, that's just kind of like where I fall. Like I can't, I can't, I can't believe I sat through this movie for, for what it says and does at the end. It, it makes me a little upset. I thought we were being brief, Brian. Well, everyone else was going nuts, <laughs> so I decided to lean into it. Guys, I don't... Give in to the madness. I don't think we could talk about this at all without going into spoilers. Like, okay, I think this well, is the oh, end yeah, of non-spoilers. It was, it was tough. I, like, started my first sentence, and I was like, where do I go from here? I mean, they're... Oh, damn it. You're fucking right. Like, how do we talk about this without spoilers? I mean, we could talk... We could go performance by performance, but, like, the performances are informed by where the story ends sure. up. I don't know. Like, Michael... Have you liked any of... Did you like Thank You for Smoking? And have you, too, wondered where the hell that man went? You know, Reitman is someone who... I kind of feel bad for Reitman at the end of the day, honestly, because he is hated by, you know, real... I'd say real film people with gigantic quotation marks. But there are a lot of, you know... Very academic critics who, you know, view him in the same light as like a inner Ritu. Like he's, he's, uh, yeah, he's a little hated. Um, and especially after his two recent flops, you know, Reitman is someone who I, I think, thank you for smoking and Juno, like when they came out, yeah, I really liked them. I especially like thank you for smoking because I, I felt like it, it was, you know, it, it did seem revolutionary to me to see an anti-hero that didn't work in traditional anti-hero ways, like not in the sense of just being a, you know, a father and things like that. But I don't know. I'm so used to anti-heroes being, you know, people who shoot the bad guys or something. You know, it's that's the that's problems with movies in general. But um and then you know, I I wanna I wanna stick up for Diablo Cody a little bit. Uh, okay, this will be good. <laughs> oh man, I'm ready. I'm ready for you, Michael. Oh great, uh, <laughs> Diablo Cody is someone who you know, like uh, a Josh Schwartz, who's someone who I have deep love for. Uh, that's the creator of The OC and Gossip Girl. Uh, is someone whose okay. sensibility is. Uh, it is constantly feeling like it's it's pushing against the time period that it's set in. Like it's literally going to carbon date itself the minute it's over. Uh, and and I think Diablo Cody has that as well with her quips being based around pop culture and the way that almost all of her characters are some shade of snarky. Like there's not a huge range in uh, Diablo Cody's films. I, I it seems like I do like Young Adult more than both of you. Uh, though I definitely have some weird things about where that goes with Pat Oswalt's character specifically. Um, I will concede that I have not seen Young Adult. Um, my first and only, like, what I would say my real experience with Diablo Cody was Juno. Um, and so not to, like, cut you off, but I do want to, before we 
get into arguing about her as a writer, let you know that you are probably much more learned about her than I am. Um, Oh, wait, no, I did see Jennifer's body. That's right. Yeah. Oh, no, never mind. I rescind that. I'm ready for you. (laughs) Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Well, Jennifer's Jennifer's body, too, is a weird one in the sense that it wants to be camp, but kind of fails at being camp and also is is pitched in a way that feels really obnoxious. Like it's, it's a bizarre movie that you like, I've seen some people try to defend it and like, I can't, I've tried, but I I can't. I would say that that was more the fault of the direction than the writing itself. Um, Not that the writing was good, (laughs) uh, but just that like, I think that movie failed because it was, it was poorly directed. I feel like if it had been shot better, if it had been acted better, that it might've been more compelling maybe, but that's just a theory. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I have trouble sticking up for it as well. I wanted it to be good camp, sure. sadly, because I am a horror fanatic, <laughs> um, and I I live for that shit. So I so badly wanted it to be good. I feel like my main issue with Diablo Cody is that she has this kind of inflated sense of profundity when just about everything that she writes and all of the characters that she creates are so surface level and i think that that really shines in tully where she has this opportunity with just the fucking source material that she selected like the the idea of writing about motherhood and the evolution of womanhood and those two things like inextricably connected forever is so dense and so important and so like you're set up for success in just about every way but I feel like she was she's incapable of sinking her teeth all the way into this profundity, but she mm. still like packages her shit and she's like, oh, hey, here you go. This is wonderful. And it's like it's beautifully wrapped and then you unwrap it and it's just like an empty box with a note on it that says, ha ha. <laughs> and, and that was very much how I felt about about Juno. Um, I'm going to date myself a little bit. I was 10, maybe, when Juno came out. Um, so I was young, I was heading into junior high when, because I have, you know, where I grew up, um, where many of the girls I went to school with would become young mothers, um, in, you know, my very near future. And so Juno was very much like, kind of like a staple of my young girlhood and into my young womanhood. Um, and the older I have gotten, the more I have felt that it is like the perfect example of something that needs to be talked about. And Diablo Cody raises her hand to speak about it and does it very poorly. <laughs> um, and I feel like Tully is like just like Juno in that way, but somehow much more damaging because of the places that she took this story. Um, I feel like pretty confident in saying that it is outright damaging to women who are thinking about having children. Um I think Juno's just bad, but I think Tully can hurt someone. Michael. <laughs> no, I um I I am I'm actually wrestling with this exact idea. Like I I personally found it damaging too and I I saw this with my girlfriend and and she didn't think it it worked at all, but she was trying to ex- she was trying to uh, imply that by 
Wait, we're in spoilers now, right? Or where are no, we? I don't think we, we can, are. We can be. Yeah, I think, okay. we, <laughs> I think we have to be at this point. Like, I'm not sure how much longer we can be this ambiguous. Like, it's getting, like, it just linguistically okay. difficult. <laughs> you know what? Hold on. Yeah, I'm going to tie together the Cody thing, and we'll go right into spoilers right here. For sure. All right. Here's oh, wait, so are we in spoilers now? N- no. I, right after this, we're going to spoilers. I will not spoil okay. anything here. All right. The last thought I have about Cody is um, the one thing that I like most from her is not only her. It's uh, United States of Terra, which was a, a Showtime show uh, in the er- earlier 2000s. Um, and I think that was 2009 was when that started. Okay. Yeah. And, and that was a show that I think because it was so long, it really had to delve very deeply into the story of a woman with, uh, I'm not sure about the proper clinical term. I believe it's multi multiple personalities though. Um, and that was about um, delving disassociative. Is it dissociative? So according to IMDb, syndrome. she has dissociative identity disorder. There we go. Shoot. I knew it was long. Thank you. It is okay. Oh. It is dissociative identity disorder, but that is also very much about motherhood and like, spending nearly 40 episodes with this woman with dissociative disorder and trying to juggle her family. Like it it did, it it very much felt like this was a very hollow version of that. But I think the, the one other thing that I want to say about Cody is I think Cody and Reitman are a, are a bad collaboration because they both reveal and kind of illuminate each other's faults. Um, in the sense, I think that's very fair. I, I think that it, again, I, I think that Reitman feels like he takes a lighter touch when he's working with Cody. Um, I, I would say that there is something a lot more graceful about the direction in Young Adult and Tully than in something like Up in the Air or Labor Day. I, I think there's a very different approach to how each individual scene is directed and how the characters are treated. And I think that that approach also illuminates just how the dialogue also is just, uh, it, it's so ready for the laugh lines. And it's just, you, you keep looking for, again, as you were saying, Jen, like you're looking for more there and it just doesn't, ever happen but it's it's just a distance enough that you feel like you're seeing a very like yeah like a humane or uh or you know a well-crafted story <laughs> but then you start looking deeper and you're like no but there's nothing here <laughs> yeah no that's that is exactly right well I'm- that's that's a weird <laughs> thing that i had with this movie in particular um i feel like this movie was crying out for a little more darkness <laughs> but um it's it's just it's so sunnily lit and like yeah. even when things are going poorly it has like the aesthetic veneer of like a Pampers ad <laughs> but like one directed by a Hollywood director on that budget and like the humor which I you know even back when everyone was fawning over Juno I still had to trouble with a little bit of the humor and here it seems like between script and shooting like they kind of weren't sure if it was supposed to be funny or funny that it's not funny. Uh, in particular, a scene mm-hmm. where Charlize Theron is asking if she needs to pay for AIDS, which is a very old play on words. And like the principal didn't get it, but it also seemed like 
Charlize wasn't sure if she was even supposed to get it. It just, it was this very strangely written, like, kind of lazy play on words that then the movie kind of lingered on so long that I just wasn't sure what the hell was going on. That in particular fell really flat for me. And if you didn't notice the entire theater that we were in, um, (laughs) it did not get even like a pity chuckle. Um, It was very, very awkward, especially because I think she repeats it like three times. And each time she said it, I became less sure that it was supposed (laughs) to be a joke. (laughs) Yeah, it's, It's the type of character moment where like, it would seem that that's trying to say like, she's too hip and edgy for school, like literally for school. And... I don't know if, like, the principal was looking at her like, you're an adult, like, so I'm not even going to think that you're making this dumb joke. Like, it just seemed weird that the principal wasn't getting it, and it also felt weird that Charlize kept trying to make her get it. Because, like, was she hoping for a laugh, or was she hoping to be perceived as, like, a snark? It's it, it's just, like, I'm maybe on the page it was clearer, but, like, I think a better director would have known what to do with that moment other than this movie, which is just, like, it almost seems to actively, like, avoid jokes guys we all the jokes are treated just like normal dialogue i it was very strange and discordant for me there's no i'm not gonna say more we need to get in spoilers <laughs> all right so we we're done we're done talking about tully i don't think any of us liked it or would recommend it correct um yes for me i i definitely unfortunately disliked it i i really wanted to and i couldn't get really wanted to like it i did really want to like it and i couldn't get there and i cannot in good faith recommend it michael i'm assuming you have a similar yeah i i I can't i can't really (laughs) recommend i mean it's it's not a this isn't like uh i didn't find this to be a like uh, not challenge challenging is not the word I'm looking for because it's not challenging at all. I, I didn't find this to be like a difficult watch, but yeah, it, it, it I was constantly feeling like uh, give me more. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like it's not so bad in its execution that it's unwatchable. But at the end of the day, I think what it does is is not worth going to see. It's also vaguely it's insulting. <laughs> yeah. So we're in spoilers now. Uh, anyone who doesn't want to know the shocking twist ending of Tully should leave. Um, God damn it! <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm just gonna rip the bandaid off. So she gets a night nurse named Tully, and this night nurse helps her. The house is cleaner. She's making food and stuff, and everything seems great. And then, after a boozy night in Manhattan, uh, she crashes her car, flips into a river. And wakes up in the hospital, where we begin to realize that Tully, played by Mackenzie Davis, is not a real person. She is, in fact, a projection of Charlize Theron's character's 26-year-old self. An extreme exhaustion. (laughs) Yeah, she is suffering from extreme (sighs) exhaustion and possibly depression. And And an idiotic husband. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, we can, we're going to right, right. we're gonna have to do like an entire season of cereal talking about what the hell, how the hell her husband missed the warning signs. But so at the end of the movie, she kind of reconnects with her autistic son and then her and her husband listen to a single set of earbuds as they prep lunches. <sighs> so who would like to go first? Oh, man. 
Oh man, I don't want to do it, man. Well, all right, Michael, you, <laughs> Michael, you were kind of, uh, I won't say prodding, but you definitely said like, "Oh my God, we need to get into spoilers." So you seemed what, the most ready. What would uh, What would you like to say? I'm, I'm trying to th- figure out where I want to start with where this premise <laughs> loses me. Um, yeah. First of all, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> It's fucking crazy, and I, 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 okay, as a joke for people who have seen it too, I really hoped that they were just going to actually make it about a mermaid in that last ten minutes. Yes! <laughs> that was all Brian wanted. At the end of the movie, so there's all this weird mermaid imagery, and she's watching, like, three different shows about mermaids, and then at the end, when she's in the river, drowning, like, Tully, as a mermaid appears, and, like, gets her out of the car, and I... So I was like, yeah, you know, fuck it. She's a mermaid. I'm totally okay with that. But then when they said she's not real at all, I was like, well, that's worse than the mermaid thing. (laughs) What was your, Michael, you had been talking about something that you and your girlfriend had been saying. Yes, yeah, yeah, I was going to start there. So uh, again, my my girlfriend did not like it either and felt this was very cheap and her wording was that it undoes everything that we saw. Um, I, and undoes, I would agree with her completely. Yeah. It does undoes the character development. It, it, it yeah. It, so, but then she was saying that the potential message that she thought it was saying is that this was a warning to, as you were starting to say, Jen, this was a warning to our society about, trying to assume what mothers should be like. Like she was saying that the interpretation could be that. So as the audience, we are seeing her be the most happy and the most rejuvenated when she is at her most exhausted. (laughs) So that is obviously a good portion of the film, but that, that ending then makes the message of the earlier part of the movie that we shouldn't try to define Mothers, and I think you could make that as a huge jump, as a huge leap. But like, that is the most charitable leap. That is, oh man, that is such a positive interpretation. And I'm not. Oh, I want it to be true. I want her to be right so bad, but I don't think I can make that so in my head. But like, I would love that. Um, sure. I feel like. Tully and Marlo's last conversation before she disappears forever because she's not real um, (laughs) makes that like objectively impossible, Um, which is really sad because I feel like, Hmm. like I said, like with a few minor changes, this movie could have said something really important and positive and like I honestly profound about um, the experience of motherhood and not completely tying up your identity or even your womanhood solely in the fact that you have had children. Um, you were a whole person before you made another person. And I feel like if with just a few, few teeny tiny changes, this movie could have like made a very important statement about how you are still a whole person. You're just a different one, but that's okay. Um, but I don't think it, it can be that because you have Tully in the room with Marlo. She's like, oh, I can't stay. I was just here to bridge a gap. Yeah. And I'm really wrestling with that single line more than anything else. Because I got to fucking tell you, I hate to play the mom card. But as someone who's done this, that gap that needs to be bridged where you have to dig down deep and find that 
other previous person that you were before you had a child that is now dead and gone because you've gone through something unspeakable and are now having to do things with your body that you can't even imagine or want to talk about. You never feel beautiful. You never feel like you're an independent person. You never really feel like you have thoughts or desires of your own that have any merit. That isn't the gap that needs to be bridged. That's something that has to be endured because it is a finite amount of time that will get better and will go away. And as you learn to become this new person who is more responsible, who is a caretaker, but is also still beautiful and still important and still has this whole other life outside of this little person that you care for, learning how to do that shit is the gap. Learning how to go back to work, how to have sex with your husband, how to make friends with people, how to repair old relationships that have at this point probably suffered by your new motherhood and the lack of time that you have, especially like I, a lot of our friends don't have kids. Like a lot of our friends don't want kids. It was kind of weird hanging out with people with this new crazy thing in my life that no one wanted to talk about. Mm. You know, that's where you need that older version of yourself. It's not to take care of your kid while you sleep, to make you feel like you're still fun and beautiful and worthy of your spouse's time. That's some bullshit. That's, that is so superficial. It's so surface level. And it's just incredibly ignorant of like the experience of motherhood that it's like, it's frustrating and it's hard for me not to get angry about it, especially like finding out that Diablo Cody has three children. Like I feel fucking bad for her kids. And, like, that's really harsh, but I do. Like, if that's the way that she views her own motherhood, that it's something that happened to her, that she had to, like, remember who she was before to be able to love her kids, like, oh, my God. Like, someone go get them. Like, (laughs) Jesus, it's, it's frustrating because that is the reality of new parenthood. You lose part of yourself and you don't get it back because you evolve forward. This feels incredibly retrograde. It's like a a de-evolution of Charlize Theron's character that literally almost kills her. But at the very end of the movie, you see it as some like positive transformation. It feels ignorant of mental illness Mm -hmm. because she's nuts. Like she has a complete psychological breakdown and it's the thing that helps her connect to her kids. Are you kidding me? Like, it, you don't need to drive drunk, wreck your car, almost die, and blatantly lie to your husband to be able to be a good mother and feel alive again. And if you do, you need help. And that is, like, the most important thing I think that this movie completely misses is that this woman does need real support. She had to fabricate support because she wasn't getting it from her husband. She wasn't getting it from any of the women that she was in. This whole movie is filled with toxic female interaction, by the way. The only positive female interaction that Marla's character has is with her younger self, which is just kind of narcissistic and insane. Um, There were so many opportunities for there to be great statements made, and instead the the writer and director chose to make the most like surface level harmful ones possible and it was like impossible to enjoy even in retrospect after it ended like and i i'm sorry i like completely broke down just now and rambled forever i think i interrupted you too michael i'm sorry um i had I had a small breakdown just now but i didn't hallucinate uh my former younger self so i guess i'm still fine Although, according to Telly, I'd be fine after that, too. So, you know, who who fucking knows? (laughs) Well, that's... To piggyback off of that, I feel like it is weird that this movie tries to say something along the lines of, like, 
go back and find who you were before kids and that will help you get through, you know, having them now. But I was garbage. I sucked. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was not a good person. <laughs> okay. Thank you, because I was going to say that not about you. But like, okay, I, well, I sucked too. Like, as I, obviously, fatherhood is a lot different than motherhood. But just to, like in a very basic way, like I would, and I, we said this coming out of the movie. I was like, I wouldn't want my younger self to come and help me with my children because that guy was a fucking nightmare, and he didn't have any of the tools necessary to to do any of this stuff and like having children is a learning experience and you grow and change in the same way that like this is a terrible analogy learning to sail a boat you what? would want to you would want as a person who sails boats to be the person who has learned how to sail a boat and therefore having someone who's ignorant of that and who almost looks at it as like an impossible future for them that's not the the other self that you'd want to help you do that hmm. And so I don't quite understand what this movie is saying, because unless it's just the youthful energy and like the like keeping like hope and like a well openness for the future, then like that's the only way this could have made sense. And it's all undone because this one literally nearly dies because of this. Mm -hmm. I if this movie were to do this in an intelligent way and still keep the dynamic it has. It would have to be that it's the hope and enthusiasm that Tully has that actually does make things better. Because Charlize Theron, at some point, and I've probably pronounced her name five different ways, and I apologize. Um, she, at some point, like stops just sleeping on the couch when her kids are running around. She starts like engaging them in playtime, and like they become sure. better behaved, quote-unquote. And she cleans up the house and everyone's mood immediately improves. And she starts making dinner and everyone's mood immediately improves. Like, those are real things that seem to be saying, like, parenthood is something to be engaged with in a healthy way, not something to be endured before you can finally pass out after your children have gone to bed. And, like, those are real, those to me felt during the course of the movie, like, real, earnest, honest-to-God things, like, that people could benefit from hearing. Because even talking to my friends who don't have children, they're like, oh, I don't know like what I would do like having to take care of this child. And it's like, but you're not just taking care of them. You're like raising them and teaching them and like playing with them and like sitting down on the couch and watching movies if you're me and my daughter. And like those are real tangible, fun, enjoyable moments that help you to get through the teething and the various biological difficulties that you have to deal with that I don't feel like I need to get into. But, like, this movie seems to be making that point up until the point that she gets drunk, crashes her car, and nearly dies in a river. Yeah. At which point it becomes like, oh, so trying to do all of those things almost gets you killed. You can't so like, have it all. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is crazy because, like, we have... We don't have, like, your traditional, you know... Mom stays at home, dad goes to work type of thing. No, I like, work my ass off. Yeah. I work I work so much. You consistently work more hours per week than I do. I do. But, yeah, um, I work a lot. But what, like what I was going to say is like so we're both kind of riding that wave of like the working parent who also has to come home and be the stay-at-home parent. And like yeah, it's tiring, but like I've never fucking dissociated and nearly died yet i mean i don't know but well now know. i mean just all bets are off like i'm just i'm ready for <laughs> it now Tully has opened the door <laughs> um so i don't know like michael does that like 
did you feel that like as a non-parent did you see that and kind of like have the same kind of feeling where you're like i feel like this is just like you wouldn't want this to happen well i i, I mean it, i have to admit it was really fascinating to hear both of your perspective because it, it, it's far more yeah, i mean it, it, there's far more specificity than anything that i would have come up with because i do have to say that i, I think my primary thing is i was just thinking about how few depictions of of motherhood and parenting in you know television and film are are about the joy uh, are about like the complications of you know getting through those bad moments they are about this apocalyptic stress th- this feeling that you know that there are 12 different things going on and you already forgot about five other things that were also important. And that, that is what especially made the early parts of this movie very disappointing to me. Like uh, the first scene of the film is her uh, brushing her son, which I want to speak briefly about the son. Uh, her, her son's name is Jonah. So I'll, I'll just say Jonah. So Jonah's character is, seems to potentially have some type of developmental disability that is never named. There is like, uh, there is, uh, an, on- they call him atypical. Yes. Atypical. That's the word they use. And then they kind of do a, uh, they discuss the way people tiptoe around it with the word quirky. Um, yeah. and that is also, makes me feel weird without even getting into any of the other motherhood parts. Because while I think it's interesting that they try to like bring up a a fluidity of, you know, of experiences for children. Again, I'm getting caught up in vocabulary. I'm just going to start talking. Um, But like that also felt weird to me because this Jonah's kind of felt like he was used as a, as a prop in, in the film to me. And absolutely, I, I bring this up because over and over, I felt like these micro experiences of motherhood were used as a punchline or a joke or a way to get us to the next segment, the next segment with Tolly. Like, and, and that is what kind of continually after that first like 10, 15 minutes, which I didn't love, but it felt like it was a little different movie like uh, then it, it just felt like I, I, again as you're saying that that totality of experience like became just these two different notes that kind of jammed on um and it was her being tired which uh with all respect to Charlie's throne she definitely elevates that and um Tully and and totally felt like uh, Miss Fritz to me, like from a Magic School Bus. Like there was something so Miss Frizzle, oh, Frizzle, Miss Frizzle. Oh my, I'm gonna get yes, hatred no, for this. That, that's, that's excellent. <laughs> that is a good. That is a very good comparison. <laughs> and I, I love Mackenzie Davis. The Halt and Catch Fire is is great. Uh, but like. I, I couldn't get past that again. The the pixie dust that Brian already pointed to the fact that she's just. I, I think even Shelley's Throne's character says something like, "You're a uh, you're like a, a fact book for fourth graders or something like that." Yeah. yeah, and it's like 
it's just this whole movie, every time I start to dig further into it, it just it feels less and less without even getting into the like toxic parenting stuff. Just from a filmmaking thing, I just don't understand why this film was uh, made this way. And then my, my girlfriend brought up this idea that um, – why didn't they just reveal this right at the beginning and like actually then steer the tone in that way? Like if you really actually want to deal with the possibility of postpartum depression, of mental illness that potentially can arrive after, you know, having children. Like if you actually want to deal with that, deal with that. Don't actually make it a a, a joke about – Oh, the dad isn't is too busy playing video games, so he's unaware that a person is in his house for, or, or excuse me, that he's not that he doesn't know whether there is in fact a person in his house every night. Like, and and don't make it about you know. Oh, remember when I used to live in the city? Like that is what bothered me more than like the extremely valid points that you guys are making is like even coming at this from a person without children, like that these people don't feel like people <laughs> that they're that I'm constantly just seeing uh yeah, I I'm I, I'm seeing not only the, the cogs but like People that can have humanity crushed up in those cogs of the plot. Like all of these characters who you would have to wrestle with their contradictions. But instead, well, let's just move forward. <laughs> especially the way that the movie makes its revelation. Like if if it had played it out from the beginning and made it very clear that this was not a real human being, I think that you'd be able to... Maybe, like, the movie would have even self-corrected just because it would have said, okay, so what does this mean? Mm -hmm. what, are we, what are we saying here? Instead, it feels like at some point towards the end, they randomly decided, like, and it was all a dream. And we're going to have a scene in the hospital with a doctor who brings up, like, all the stuff, sure. priming us for the reveal when the nurse asks for his wife's maiden name. And he says, Tully. No, it felt very, like, old-school Twilight zone in both, like, the absurdity and the camp. Like, it was... Yeah. And I was so ready for it, and I was, like, so frustrated. Whenever Brian and I um, were talking about this movie initially a couple months ago, and he showed me the trailer... Um, the first thing I said was, oh, so her younger self shows up. <laughs> and Brian was oh, like, no. well, yeah, no, I guess like that'll be like an archetypal thing. And I'm like, it's either going to be like an ambiguous archetypal interpretation or they're going to do it literally and I'm going to fucking hate it. <laughs> and like my, my body was ready. I hated it. Like, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I found it very frustrating because like yeah like just like from an, an objective like logical filmmaking standpoint when you take a step back and you look at it as like a whole piece of art rather than knitted together like small vignettes of like very beautifully shot scenes filled with light um and you you view it as like a whole there's like so many held head like head tilt head I can't even talk <laughs> head tilt there we go head tilt moments where you're just like oh 
so that's how you want to use like autism in this film. Mm. Oh, so that's how you want to approach like the, this idea of like um, the dad who doesn't do anything to help trope. Like, oh, this is how you want to troubleshoot female relationships. It's just like, oh, wow, there were a lot of like really fucking weird decisions made just to propel the plot forward. And I don't feel like any of them were good, but it's hard to feel that in the moment when you're busy being guided toward like intoxicating empathy for Charlie's throne. And like, there were, there were scenes in this movie that like had my palms sweating because I remembered so vividly how much some of this shit sucks. <laughs> like, it's still so very fresh in my brain. Like the really like gross and emotive scene with Tully and Marlo in the, the bathroom at the bar where her breasts have become engorged because she hasn't nursed. And she can't get her milk to let down. And she's like screaming in agony. I assure you that is not played for effect. That shit sucks. It's like having to pee really badly and not being able to. Um, also, just right after she gives birth and there's like the condescending nurse standing in the doorway <laughs> telling her that she has to pee or they're going to give her a catheter. That literally happened to me. Like... Because doing anything after you've just had a baby is terrifying because it feels like you should have died. And so, like, I get, like, I was getting lost in these, like, series of instances. And that's, like, kind of how I'm thinking about it now in retrospect. It was just, like, a series of, like, emotive incidences where, like, I just was completely lost to this film and the way that it was making me feel. And I had to force myself to think about how, like, none of it was important and that just kind of like frustrated me that it can't be important because it was so poorly knitted together despite being like a beautiful series of incidences. And it was like this very – I'm not sure I've ever seen a movie that I've been this upset about for this reason. Um, it seems to be a very – almost unique to it struggle and you guys can like correct me if I'm wrong in that like if you have like an example of something else that has done this but I don't think that I've ever found something that is like so beautiful once every 10 minutes but sucks in 90 in total <laughs> um it was it was very frustratingly interesting um and I'm happy to know that that isn't because I'm incapable of viewing it objectively like as a mom like I, it's very comforting to hear Michael that like you had the same like issue making the logical jumps with the storytelling that I did for the same reasons, despite not having children. Like that makes me feel a little bit better about my opinion because <laughs> I was just worried that I was going to sound like this pissed off chick. Um, so it's good to know that I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really glad we have you on. Cause I, I, again, I think that the things you're bringing up are incredibly valid no matter what, but I'm, I, I think that, you're right. Like I, I'm, I'm. I knew something was off, but I just, I didn't know why it felt so, like dishonest and and cheap. Like beyond, you know. Like I can, you know, poke story holes all day long, but it, it is something different when I, I I'm hearing you art articulate what what it's like seeing a a mother being you know distilled down to these you know, very simple damaging things. Like I, th that is the thing about Tully. And now I, I must admit, I, I'm now wondering, you know, 
I, I can't remember which one of you actually said this feels like a, a thriller or like a, a genre film. Like it, it's totally one of those reveals. Like I, I was honestly thinking of Orphan <laughs> at certain points. Well, yeah, oh my I, god! The, the first thing I thought about—that's <laughs> not um, a connection they wanted to make. <laughs> yeah, the first thing I thought about was uh, Psycho. Yeah, and it's like same. Well, the thing, the thing I think you I have to that. understand about Norman is and it's yeah. just like it was. It was so. It was so weird that like that's what they went sure. for in order to then try to make a I don't like the thing is I'm still super confused what it all means and what it's all about <laughs> because like the movie like I said she seems to be doing a lot better everyone is happier sure. they're having a more fulfilling relationship and then you find out it's because she has broken in her brain and she is working herself to exhaustion and is just nuts. And it's like, so what did that teach her? Like, is this is this like a a faux suicide attempt that then lets people realize like, oh, we got to pitch in and like help. But that's, it's, that's, it's, that's the thing, though, is that her brother tried to help. Sure. So it's not even like we, you can't even make the statement like, oh, well, society or men like expect mothers to be able to do it all sure. and still be beautiful. Got to keep that bikini body. Plus, you have to cook dinner because the dad makes that quip about frozen pizza. Sure. So it's not even like that is the problem in this film because the male character that she appears to be closest to outside of her spouse acknowledges that she struggled with her mental health in the past and the past and like reaches out to like try and assist her because the expectation that she can do it all is wholly unsustainable. So like you can't even like make that stretch. Well, even, even beyond that at the end of the movie, her husband's like, you know, I love you. I love us. And like, <laughs> I'll, I'll help more. But like what she, if, if the movie is about, her not believing that she should ask for help. Sure. Then, then you kind of have a point, but then at that point it should be her tearfully saying, I need help. I'm, I've never Mm. asked. I was too proud, but like I do. And he's like, well, you know, obviously I'm going to help you because I love you and you've asked for it and blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't know. Cause like the fact that she claims to have ordered the night nurse it means that sure. she was willing to ask for help. I like it's it's a confused dumb dumb situation. And on the on the ride home I was like, you know, the movie would make more sense with this entire stupid reveal if she had hired a woman who was like 70 years old and was talking about how like, oh, you know, I remember when I had kids. Sure. I actually had like three or four kids myself blah 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 you know and this is all this stuff and like and then you find out she's talking to her future self like if she's if she's projecting outwards to herself as an empty nester to help her like find the fleeting moments of joy and happiness and having children because she knows one day that they'll be gone like that's to me a more like that sounds more interesting (laughs) i would watch that (laughs) yeah i think what did you say when we were driving home Oh, honey, I was yelling the whole time. No, to me about that idea. Oh, oh, I said that you had just written a better movie. Yes, that was it. Yeah, um, I'm like, oh my god, I like, I like screamed for ten minutes. <laughs> like, I upset people while we were walking toward the garage. Like, I don't know. You're gonna have to get real specific here. Yeah, but it's like, because again, like, it's it's the it's the fucking the stupid analogy I made about sailing a boat. Like, if you were stuck on a boat and you'd like needed to create a projection of yourself, wouldn't you rather have the one who knows what the fuck they're doing? 
Like, yeah, no, like if a younger version of me showed up when I was like two to three weeks postpartum, I would have like been super upset that someone in trick pants already high showed up to let me know that I had given into the patriarchy. Like, I would be furious that I was there. <laughs> I wouldn't know a goddamn thing about taking care of a kid, and I would have been upset that I'd had one. <laughs> like, Jesus. And then there were just, I mean, there's smaller things that like bug me, like, um, when she's talking about like how she rode every horse on the carousel, and then when Tully asks like which horse was bo- his boring male name, I can't remember. Was it like Drew? Drew? That was it. I was yeah. gonna say Dave. I've, n- I've met so many Drews, and like none of them have been particularly memorable. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and she says, uh, "Oh, he was like the bench." And I was like, "Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Are you like now upset that you're off the carousel?" Like also. Michael, you and I have spent time academically checking out the Manosphere um, because we find them hilarious. Uh, y- so yes. did, the, did the use of the term carousel strike you as particularly tone deaf? <laughs> have you like have you seen the conversations around the quote unquote carousel that the Manosphere talks about? I'm so lost. I, I mean, kind of. <laughs> okay, we don't have to get into it, but I'll just say that like, there is a certain sect of men who think that women are uh, resource gobbling locusts who are just trying to trick beta males into bearing their children. Is this um, is this the same they, people who are talking about redistribution of sex, or are these different people? I, you know, honestly, I don't know. It's all moving so fast now. Um, but like incels and MGTOW people always say that like women just want to wander around riding the cock carousel oh, until like they yeah. can trick a guy into having their child and then they never have to work again. So like for me. Hearing her say that, like, I found it really, like, retrograde and, like, toxic and weird. And I'm not sure, I'm not, I literally don't know what the movie meant to make me think by saying that. Honestly, like, I don't feel like there was a lot of thought put behind it in that way. Like, I don't know. It doesn't, Diablo Cody doesn't strike me as a particularly, oh, God, I don't know how I want to word this, um, thoughtful writer (laughs) um i like it's so funny because like she at once like like you were talking about earlier michael like her scripts like date themselves the second that they you know the movie that they're they're about ends because like they're just so rife with like pop culture references and like earlier today brian said like what what the fuck did you say like i swear to blog honest to blog honest to blog yeah like oh, really like no. throwback to you know <laughs> juno yeah it's like just like these she it's so rife with like these like pop culture and like of the times lingo but it also seems to it, it at times be like completely like removed from the time of which they're like made so i don't know well yeah it's a kind of cleverness that like muddies the waters of her thoughts her mind river i don't know I'm her mind river this analogy mind river band name <laughs> yes and um and it just makes it harder to it makes it harder to follow along and understand what's going on because like at that moment it really felt like charlie's theron was like i married a boring fucking asshole and i need out of this you even said like that if you'd ever heard me describe you as the bench that you would make me sleep in the study and like that is yeah no it's a yeah. really it's a really <laughs> shitty thing to like say about your spouse and like there's a I don't know. There's like an, kind of an interpretation, I guess, that could be made like, oh, like 
she was busy having fun on the spinning thing that if you stay too long on makes you sick and like isn't fun anymore and like her husband was like the one still point that like yes wasn't as quote-unquote fun but like provided a sense of security and after like so much time doing all this shit that didn't actually leave her fulfilled she was able to like sit down and rest like that's like a really nice way to paint it and I guess that like is a charitable charitable. Yeah, I guess that that holds idea. water. Um, but I also like I don't know like she doesn't ever seem to speak or think ill of her as her husband either. So like taking it like as overtly negative, I feel is just like a little overly sensitive. And I feel like you were especially like inclined to sensitivity in this viewing, Brian, just because you hate that trope so much of like the father who doesn't do anything. Yeah. Because again, like going back to like our kind of really unconventional or I wouldn't say unconventional, like non-traditional lifestyle and marriage. Um, I work like nights. I usually work between like uh, 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, You know, Brian has like a nine to five like day job. We have a babysitter to fill the gap. Um, But I'm with Cora in the early mornings and I go to work. Um, And Brian does like dinner, bedtime, laundry, house cleaning. He does like the big life shit by himself. And so he has much more of, like, the stay-at-home mom role in addition to, like, a normal daily job than I do. So if anyone is at risk of having a dissociative event here, it's probably me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, like, Brian does much more of the domestic aspect of our life than I do just because that's the nature of the work that I'm in and, like, the industry that I'm in. And somehow I find time to do this podcast. So go to (laughs) patreon.com slash the film stage show. Wow, you're shameless. Anyway, um... The point I'm making here is that, and, and rightfully so, um, Brian, you tend to be much more sensitive to the way that men are often painted as like the Mr. Mom, like, oh dear, like, how do I change a diaper? What's this weird thing? Can you microwave it? Like, oh, oh no, this toy's broken. Better super glue it back together. Oh no, the super glue didn't dry. Now it's stuck to the baby. Like this weird, like, I bumbling. Watch, I would watch that episode. Of a TV <laughs> this show. weird, bumbling, like, black and white part of the infomercial. Um, and it's something that I didn't really even like notice so much until you started pointing it out in literally everything. So I think that that trope is definitely present in Tully, um, to the film's like perpetuation, but also like it's points detriment. But I think that in this moment with like the, the carousel versus the bench, I think that you're being a little bit unfair to the statement based on your revulsion at the way that the husband is used as a character. I mean, that's possible. But like, like I said, I just it's it's such a weird metaphor to use. And then yeah. it just like it's hard to see it as any other way. And like, yeah, maybe that's a low point in her life. But like. It's such like it's such a dark thing to say about someone that you're in love with and have three children with. I mean, like, I just I just it was hard for me to, like, recover from that line. But I mean, there's a whole bunch of other terrible shit we could talk about in this movie. Oh, yeah, um, no, for sure. Like the way that she treats like her son. Oh, yeah. The way that she responds to people who are clearly trying to help her with her son. Brian, I I Um, wanted to speak briefly to the carousel thing. I think the carousel thing is that the weird thing I find about Diablo, uh, Diablo Cody's sensibility is that like it's trying to be sex positive and kind of subversive, but it's also kind of moralistic. And I think that those two parts are kind of continually going at each other um, in the sense that like, you know, they have a conversation earlier about, uh, you know, uh, rejuvenating their sex life. And then there is the bizarre possibility that Charlie Theron's character is cool with the night nurse having sex with her husband. But um 
Well, it's fine because it's not really a different person. Exactly. But I she's actually, okay with it. That was like the one scene in this movie I loved. Like, weirdly enough, because maybe it was at that point that I figured out that Tully wasn't real. Mm. Um, but that <laughs> that is like the only area of this movie that I think like really hits young, like not, not young motherhood, new motherhood on the nose is like, that really is the only gap I think that exists in the very, very beginning stages that does need to be bridged by like this younger version of yourself. Because when she starts talking about like, Oh, I hold a baby all day. I nurse, I do all this stuff. And then like when they go to bed, I'm supposed to switch and be like, Oh, Hey, I'm sexy now. Like that is real. It's difficult. It sucks. It's an incredible. It's an incredible like mental hurdle that you have to jump through, and it's an incredibly emotional hurdle. And so, like for that to be something that you're able to do, you really do have to like force yourself to remember that this person that you're with fell in love with you and a version of you that you have to like recall and like tap back into to be able to like be intimate with them. And maybe that's just like my experience, but or the experience of women that I've spoken to. But like, this is weirdly enough, like, not to be weird, Brian. This is something that my mom and I have talked about. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. So like, Tony, Tony and I have talked about this. Um, but yeah, like that. So the, as, as weird as that scene was, maybe I was okay with it, or I liked it just because, like, at that point, I'd already tried to get okay with Tully not being real, and like, I was, I was amping up. I wasn't ready for like the terrible way the ending was executed but i was definitely ready for there to be a point where it was revealed that she wasn't real and so i was like oh okay like this is accurate like this this holds water this checks out and so if i had to pick like one scene in the movie that didn't like just like make me cringe the whole time it was definitely that one Hmm. okay i i think i think it is interesting that both of you are saying that you know about these two characters who who love each other. And, and I don't think I found that love as convincing as both of you did, which is maybe... No, I didn't find it... I mean, Michael, you're, uh, I just... I assume they do. Like, you're talking about Ron Livingston and Charlize Theron, right? Yeah. Yeah, they could be fucking strangers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't... I, <laughs> let me... I'm speaking more in, like, an idealistic sense. Like, sure. I'm taking it for granted based on the fact that the movie told me they were married, that they at one point fell in love. Um... But that really is like all like dialogue between Charlie's Throne and Tully that that's information that I've gathered. They did not have an, a compelling on screen romance. Um, th- I don't think they had an on screen romance. <laughs> um, I don't think they had an on screen yeah, friendship. No, <laughs> they had like a passive aggressive roommate situation. I, think. I was about to say, I have had roommates who I have hated that I have had more loving interactions with than they did. But yeah, no, I mean, like, I'm not. I'm not here to say like this is the you know Michael you're totally right like uh, you know it's not convincing but like at a certain point you just have to assume that they're supposed to be otherwise like what's the point the script as written would actually make more sense if she did leave him in that last scene right or in the I guess second to last scene in in the in the hospital where he says you know the we love us which ugh, speaking of cringe. Um, like that scene was something that would have been, I, I would have understood the movie more <laughs> again if she was like, you know, you kind of fucked up. I had a psychotic break. Uh, 
we should see other people. <laughs> Why did you never want to look at like the nanny who I claim to have? Like, yeah. did you never like after giving her shit for leaving the baby with a stranger? Never even went downstairs to introduce himself to the person keeping his child safe. Like, he has a wow. real. Like, I know you like to tout that you're like Bambi's dad, Brian, but like <laughs> you're y- y- you spend more time with Cora than I do. Like. Uh, like this guy is like the OG Bambi's dad, where he just like doesn't have any fucking idea what's going on, and like low key doesn't give a shit. Yeah, he's like, you <laughs> left, you left our new baby with a stranger who's going to be in the house while we sleep, and she was like, I guess so, and he's like, all right, gears of war calls. But again, it makes it extra annoying that so many of those details are just they're for convenience in the narrative, like they're not even for like trying to flesh out those characters because. Honestly, the most screen time that Ron Livingston gets is that end scene where I I thought it was vaguely interesting when the nurse was asking him things before he fucking says, you know, the maiden name was Tully. Before that happens, like just his realization of how completely lacking in self-awareness about the situation he was, like that was almost more interesting to me than any of the possibilities of, and you know, any of the shots of, Oh, we're in bed. All right, I'm putting on my headsets. I'm, you know, reading something on an iPad or something. Like it's it's just something it's it's so lazy. So so many parts of this movie feel so lazy to me in ways that go past like yeah, like just on like script writing 101 things. Like 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 things that are going to bother anyone that have nothing to do with minutia, but like basic characters, like like uh, Mark Duplass's character just being like an absolute dingus, like just because or a rich dingus. Like, like it's just <laughs> I, this humanity that like should be here and is here in such like brief snippets is so quickly overshadowed by all these glib jokes and yeah i don't know well, that's why i'm going in that's circles why when you were taking us to task for like buying into the romance i wanted to very quickly like clear that up because at the like the movie is nothing but avatars for ideas like there's not a single interaction that really feels like a real character moment oh my god that is that is such a good sentence i'm sorry like avatars for ideas like that is that's it like yeah, the love movie, that. <laughs> first of all, don't turn and look at me. Speaking of the microphone. Um, <laughs> Jesus. She just said something nice about you, you asshole. I know. Thank <laughs> you, Michael. Fuck you, dude. By the way, Brian. have we mentioned that it's our anniversary? Oh, today? yeah. Oh, it's our anniversary. <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thanks. I fucking hate him. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, boy. But yeah, no, it's, it's like, you know, at a certain point, the movie becomes pure dumb allegory and so like you just have to you just have to take it for what it is like you know like any allegory it's like Aesop says like well the snail and the bird love each other and you're just like well unfortunately I haven't seen their courtship and romance and how they interact so Aesop I just don't know if I can agree with you like I just have to take Aesop at his word so Diablo Cody strolls in and says these two people are married and there is love there and I'm like sure Because nothing else in this movie feels real. This woman just, like, shouted at a principal about her son being retarded, and the fucking children's services wasn't called on her. And also, by the way, I didn't use the word retarded. That is the movie's word. Yeah, so I felt weird yeah. about that, to too. Let's, let's throw that out there. 
our word is not welcome in this home. Like, we are not the type of people that use the word retarded, especially when speaking about five-year-old boys. Um, no. Yeah, I found, I don't know, I found her entire her entire setup, like, and how she addressed her son's problems. Oh, that was nauseating. Really awful. That was, that was nauseating. And I, I don't, I don't know what that was supposed to do for but her it, character development, or I don't know what it was supposed to do as a reveal for like her psyche. Like if we were supposed to believe that she was so exhausted that she would speak about her son that way. But like, there's never a point yeah. where she seems to try to be better with him it's just like she watches other people be better with him and then in the very end he's like oh like i don't think we need the brush anymore as to be like you know children don't need you to do things for them as much as they need you sure right to you like know? be there for them absolutely and i feel like <laughs> uh i feel like at that point in the film um that was a redundant statement. I feel like it would have been more powerful coming from Jonah's character if his mom was not literally fucking nuts. Um, yeah, and and like, <laughs> I don't know. There's and that it was a, it was a thing that I feel like we'd already gotten visually and tonally earlier in the movie when she's like playing with them and everyone's really happy. But the crazy part is that she was insane and nearly died. So like, what does that tell you? Like engaging with your children might just get you fucking killed yeah no there was there were there were so many issues i had with her dealing with with jonah um that was just that were it it, it was so, it, it's apparently a roadblock for me right now because i can't even form a complete sentence my god <laughs> um but yeah there were so many better ways to handle that and i think that that goes back to this movie just being wholly insensitive and like truly tone deaf toward mental illness and like the mental illnesses that like mothers like often have to troubleshoot themselves, such as like postpartum depression. And if you're like the sole caretaker, like regardless of your gender, whether you know you're the mother or the father, if you have a child with special needs or a disability and you're the primary caregiver on the domestic side, like that's going to fall on you to be the more gracious and patient and understanding parent who actively seeks out help and actively seeks out evaluations and pays for aids. Like that's kind of more your responsibility and you never see Marlo accept that or make that jump. You just see it make her progressively more tired. And that just got to be such an old drum that was beaten throughout the film that w it left me feeling a little bit hopeless um especially whatever you know her big character evolution is that she is incredibly ill and we don't ever see her get treatment or have any reason to believe that she did and i just find that to be incredibly hopeless and i i'm sad that so many women are seeing and enjoying a movie that reeks of hopelessness and inauthenticity. It, it is certainly... So I guess those are my final thoughts. <laughs> it is certainly interesting that we are seeing such divided thoughts from people, you know, who have had children and haven't had children for this movie. Like, it does definitely seem like they're... You know, I, I'm not making totally making assumptions here, but I'm just saying from a few reviews I've read, it, it does certainly seem like uh, there is a different experience that people with children without children are having. And it, it doesn't, you know, it, now having seen it, it I, I, I am very surprised that more uh, critics, you know, regardless of gender, regardless of whether they have 
uh, kids or not have not been seizing on this as a film about despair or I, 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 I um, yeah, I, it's, it's that that is actually making me as Brian was kind of saying is like questioning what, is this movie about what is its ultimate message like what are we supposed to take away from this other than the fact that you know when <laughs> your husband helps things will be slightly more manageable and when you yeah it's i i i don't it's know like ali sheedy <laughs> says in the breakfast club when you grow up your soul dies like <laughs> well i mean for me <laughs> Like that's like that, that's what I got. I don't know. For me, it's it's weird because the movie appears at first to be like a a battle cry for like millennials who don't want to grow up because it's like sure. oh you know like you're gonna have children and like this other part of you is gonna cease to exist but like maybe it can come back like Jiminy Cricket and guide you towards something better but all that falls apart when she again nearly dies and then at that point like. Every stride that she'd made previous to that becomes negated. And then you just have the last, like, empty five minutes where she doesn't brush her son. Her son says, I just like like having you around. And then her husband comes over and helps her prep lunch, which is like, that's a lot of weird buildup and false start goodness to find, like, land on such a trite message at the end. Sure. And that's, I guess that's like my final thoughts. It's like, I don't know what the fuck this movie is doing because it seems to be saying something genuinely helpful at first, which is just be more engaged with your family. And like, that will help you through the despair of like feeling as though you've lost something because you'll realize that in losing that, that empty or in losing that freedom, you have found the joys that come with like being a part of a unit who is joined by blood and love. But at the same time, it's like, oh, but here's your younger self to help you go out and get drunk again. But be careful because you might die because you're fucking exhausted. So, like, every possible meaningful thing you could take from this movie, like, eats itself. But, like, not like the snake eating its tail. It's, it's like a person on a boat cutting off limbs, not realizing that, like, that's only going to help for so long. Does that count as a food metaphor? Yeah, that does. All right. If you eat it, it's I'll a food metaphor. It. <laughs> um, Michael, any final thoughts on this movie? You know, to put a, a final, you know, positive thing, I wanted to actually ask Jen whether, and this is a very broad question and it might backfire on me, but uh, are there any films that you've seen, whether new or old recently, that you felt did have like a unique or, you know, um, important uh, depiction of motherhood? first reformed um oh wow uh you know um i'm gonna roll with a a soft no um and with this this is not a shot at you uh just so you know i will say that darren aronofsky's mother um (laughs) is i'm so sorry i'm so sorry honey i don't mean it that way i'm serious no Um, you're fine you're fine darren aronofsky's mother is not an excellent depiction of the struggles of motherhood but i do think that it has a very beautiful um an ongoing depiction of womanhood in relationship to motherhood in relationship to how society views both of those things as at times inextricable and then at others, um, completely independent of each other. I think that that's a really good conversation. And actually, on Brian's website, dearfilm.net, um, I was able to publish um, 
a small think piece about how I think it's the most feminist film made in the last decade uh, for that reason. So there aren't any, and this might speak more to my lack of um, exposure than anything else. So take that with a grain of salt. There aren't any movies that jump to mind that I feel like really display a raw and unfiltered, but not even necessarily like positive, but just like something honest because there is real beauty and real positivity in motherhood. Um, but it's also important that that beauty and positivity be the authentic and the authenticity of it lies in it being unfiltered and it being inclusive. Like this is so late to bring up, but it is a problem that I have, I've had with this movie since I saw the trailer. And that is that it's incredibly white. The premise is so white. <laughs> Like, oh, no, like, you're exhausted and you have three kids in your upper middle class and you now have a night nanny. Like, you were fortunate enough to know someone that got you a nanny. Like, those are very, very exclusive problems. And so I feel like there's nothing that's jumping to mind that's completely inclusive and honest in the way that I want. I think that that's something that we could really use to be made. Um, But if we're just talking about a movie that, I feel talks about the relationship of womanhood and motherhood in that honest and inclusive way that I think speaks to all women. Um, mother really is like the only thing that I can think of uh, that does a good job. I bet you're happy you asked that one, Michael. Yeah. Real sorry. Uh, did it backfire? No. <laughs> Was that not the answer you wanted? It's time for a rewatch from that one anyway. So. <laughs> Oh man. Uh yeah, no, I hope, it's I hope it doesn't break you again. I happened I happened to love it. Um I'm not sure I can ever give it a rewatch, unfortunately. It's it's burned into my brain. Uh so I'm not sure I need to. <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's a tough one. But um I think if you go into it ready for something feminist, that you'll get more out of it rather than hmm. watching it as more of like a horror porn. Um, I think it, from a gender a gender studies perspective, it holds a little bit more um, for a general viewer than it does and its entire lens because <laughs> it's it's a lot. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to double down. I I said first reformed, and I think that when we talk about that, there's definitely a truth in that movie about like what having a child does to your brain. Yeah, that that can't be overstated. No, I, I, I would be ready to agree with that. But uh yeah, no, that's that's it. <laughs> All right. Well that is our discussion of Tully. It is out in theaters now. Don't go see it. <laughs> it's not good. Oh man. <laughs> um so that's all for today. Uh let me remind everyone to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. You can also go to movie.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial. You can check out Akira Kurosawa's Ran on there right now, which is a fantastic film. We also have a movie that sounded pretty freaking awesome. It's called L627. It's from 1992, and it's a cop film antithetical to its Hollywood counterparts. Uh, Bertrand Traver... <laughs> Tavernier's great, great. mid nineties genre film showcases the lessons of street level realism inherited from the French New Wave. No nonsense, inspired by the drug use of Tavernier's son and co-written by a police vet, and all the more gripping for it. And uh, yeah, if that doesn't sound like it's up your alley, I'm not trying to know you. So check it out. <laughs> Go to mu. 
bi.com slash film stage for your free 30-day trial of movie on us. And that is it for today. Um Michael, what are we are we talking about first reformed next week? I think it's manhunt next week. I don't know. Oh right, yes, because first reform will be opening later in May. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it's it's a while away. I think actually, the I think newest it's, film from John Woo, Manhunt, which is a, weirdly available on Netflix and not available yeah. to see in any theaters in the country. <laughs> which is oh man, I fucking hate that. Yeah, it's well, it's some welcome bowl. to the new world. I like, oh, God, I hate that so much. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> well, or for whenever we stop recording, who knows? <laughs> I'm sure we will talk about it on Manhunt. Anyway, uh, so that is it for today. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time we speak. Uh, would my lovely wife like to plug her social media for the denizens of the internet to find? Uh, yeah, I can be found on Twitter at, at RowanMyBoat. Because I'm funny. <laughs> um, I do this really dumb thing that I think is linked on there. Um, it's incredibly punishing, but I think I'd mentioned a couple times that I'm a horror fanatic. Um, so, as we all know, Netflix is a terrible slog, um, especially in the horror genre. So, I actually watch like every single horror movie on Netflix and I'm compiling a list of the ones that are watchable. Um, it's called watchable Netflix horror because it has, uh, there's a very low bar. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, there's about six or seven on the list. I have watched over 200 in case anyone was curious. Um, yeah, no. So there's that. And then you can also find very, very small amounts of my writing on Brian's website, dearfilm.net. And I think that I am, te- I don't know. No, I helped you write the one for Knight of Cups on the film stage. So I'm basically an internet ghost. Um, I could give you my home address. but uh, please, please don't. Yeah, no, but I'm from Texas. You might get shot. All right, Michael, where can you be found? Um, I, I literally forgot what I was going to say. Shit. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at, at Snydell. Uh, and... Oh, what else? Uh, well, you can go to the film stage starting this week, and the Cannes Film... Is it Cannes? The Cannes Film Festival is starting, so you can read lots of reviews, and I'm pretty excited to hear about how some things at Cannes are, including the uh, Begon film, and the insane three-hour Lars von Trier movie, and other stuff. Um, and I'm also on Letterboxd, and just at... Uh, I'm just under my name and uh, that's about it <laughs> alright you can of course find me at my personal site dearfilm.net on twitter at Brian J. Rowan and uh, like I said I'm going to have some reviews popping up on filmstage.com from uh, the things that I saw at the Maryland Film Festival and uh, yeah that is it so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week when we'll be talking about Manhunt the newest film by John Woo she's gone